Boy, this is a hard passage, isn't it? Submit yourselves to one another because of your reverence to Jesus Christ. And it's a difficult saying because the idea of submission does not fit well with our modern Western worldview. Our emphasis is on personal rights, striving for securing and maintaining our social status. Also, we have a lot less hierarchical structure in our society. How we see women, marriage, and work is radically different than first, this first century Roman world. And part of our dis-ease with this imperative is that sadly for much of two millennia the church has applied it exclusively to those who occupy the traditionally subordinate positions in society and has failed to apply it to those who hold traditionally dominant ones. We've missed the mutual part. We've missed the revolutionary part. Karl Marx's criticism that religion is the opium of the masses, keeping them in their place, placid and pliable, actually reflects that historical imbalance. And we've seen the misuse of this wider passage in action, affirming overbearing and even violent husbands and fathers and encouraging wives and children to stay in those abusive situations. It's been used to affirm slavery. And of course, we can't look at slavery without the North American and our European experience and its connection to racism. Recently, also, we've seen and heard of fresh excesses and abuses of power by Christian leaders. And ordinary church members silenced, or even worse, open to being abused by being told to submit, to honour and to respect their leaders in an unhealthy way. Well, our winter sermon series this year is called One Anothering, The Spirit-Filled Art of Christian Community. And we're exploring Jesus' new commandment to love one another as I have loved you by looking at 12 one another sayings in the New Testament epistles, seeing how Jesus' inspirational and aspirational command works itself out in everyday life in practical terms. Submit to one another takes that Christ-like love and it applies it to relationships where power and authority are involved. Now, the early church was a radical place. It was something totally different. There was a sense of love and unity that crossed all the social barriers and, in actual fact, all the social stratas of the day. Men and women, Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian, free and slave. And it was the only place where these people met as equals. And one of the questions that would have been uppermost in these people's minds was how, when we were equal, when we had equal access to God, when we're all saved by Christ, when we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are brothers and sisters, do we live that out in our very ordered patriarchal society? And Paul's answer is submit to one another because of reverence for Jesus Christ. It's an ethic that takes Christ and his example and his self-sacrificing love for us and uses that to show the way. And you know what? 
that Christ-like love revolutionises and transforms those relationships. So let's have a look at this saying. Firstly, in its context, in the book of Ephesians, Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians by speaking of Jesus being exalted to the right hand of the Father and pouring out every spiritual blessing on his people, saving us, setting us free, giving us new and eternal life, pouring his Spirit out upon us, drawing us into a new people together. And then he turns and brings that down to earth to show in light of what God has done for us, how we should live and how the church should manifest both unity and purity in all relationships. And the section that we had read from the scriptures today starts way back in Ephesians 5 verse 1, where Paul says, Since you are God's dear children, since you are beloved, you must try to be like him. Your life must be controlled by love, just as Christ loved us and gave his life for us as a sweet-smelling offering and sacrifice that pleases God. And then what follows is an outworking of that. Verse 18, where our reading started, Paul charges his readers to not keep charging their glasses and get drunk on wine, but rather to be filled and keep on being filled with the Spirit. He contrasts being filled with the Spirit with drunkenness, which only leads to ruin. You know, it may make people happy and cheerful and merry, but it also contributes to the breakdown of social order and has negative impacts on close relationships. Rather, says Paul, being filled with the Spirit doesn't just make us cheerful, it fills us with joy which is expressed in speaking to one another in a way that builds up with words of psalms, hymns, and sacred songs. Joy that comes out in singing praises from our heart. You know, there's something wonderful and special and spirit-filled about congregational singing that allows us to express our thanks to God uh, and praise to God, and it calls us to act in unison and, occasionally, harmony. Paul goes on to speak of having a spirit of gratefulness, always giving thanks to God. Being filled with the Spirit is far superior, deeper and richer than any chemically induced buzz. And submit to one another out of reverence to Christ actually finishes off that list. It belongs to what's gone before by showing that the Spirit-filled life shows itself in social cohesion and right relationship. It builds up relationships. It doesn't tear them down. And with all the talk of music and singing in this section, it gives us a good metaphor to think about submitting to one another. For songs and music to happen and make sense and be wonderful, everybody needs to play their part to defer to one another, some to take lead roles and, and to take into direction uh, from uh, or to lead or to conduct, and then others to be willing to step back and play a lesser role or a supportive role for the overall good. It takes discipline and deference. And if that does not happen, then instead of music, all we have is this competing noise. 
In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, without love, even all our wonderful words are just like a clanging cymbal, a loud, obnoxious noise. Not well-played cymbals, by the way, Phil. <laughs> Clashing cymbals. And this brings us to look at what submit to one another out of reference to Jesus Christ means. Well, submitting, says Mark Roberts, simply involves placing oneself under someone else in a structured relationship. And you know, without that sort of structure, without structure, things and organisations and society just does not work. It is how we, in actual fact, fit together as a group, as a church, as a society. What revolutionises it uh, is that we don't do this simply because it's a social expectation or the norms or because it's rules and regulations, but, but rather because of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ as our example in servant leadership. Uh, and Jesus Christ, our example in self-sacrificing love. And in obeying Jesus' teaching. In Roman society, the emperor kept order on a wider level. And if you got out of order, you met the emperor's army. And the expectation was that in a household, there would also be order kept. The head of the household, predominantly a male, would simply be expected to keep everyone in line. However, we will see when Paul applies his Christian ethic to the Roman household code that it changes it completely. The person without status and power is empowered to show their love of Christ by the way in which they act in that relationship. And the person in the power position is reminded of things like when Jesus talked to his disciples, called them aside, and uh, after they'd had this rousing discussion uh, with their mums about who was going to be the greatest in God's kingdom, reminded them, well, actually, if you want to, don't be like the Gentiles who lord it over one another. But rather, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you need to learn to be the servant of all. Uh, let me give you a, a fresh example of what I uh, uh, of this means, uh, and just sort of one of the ways in which I've been thinking about it this week. Now, you may have noticed my new fashion accessory. Thank you. No, it's uh, it's not a fashion accessory. It's uh, my moon boot, and it's there to correct a twisting of my foot caused by long-term diabetes. And, you know, I dreaded having to wear it. Uh, you know, I got, I've got really upset about it in actual fact, uh, and I have to wear it for six weeks. You know, I could simply not wear it, but that wouldn't be good for me. I actually have to submit to the health professionals who tell me it's good for me. Now, up at the hospital... The health professional that works in orthotics is Shane Jansen. And Shane noticed that my foot was warping. And he passed that on to the orthopedic surgeons and also on to my podiatrist, who then prescribed for this to happen. So I had to go up and submit myself to Shane's care and Shane's professional expertise. 
trusting that he knew what he was doing. And as I got there and Shane went to work, I knew that he did. But you know what? As he went about this work, as he went about that kind of leadership role, I noticed that he got down onto his hands and knees. And he had this wonderful sense of care and concern for me, making sure that this uh, boot fitted and that it was padded in the right places so it didn't rub anywhere um, and that I wasn't too unbalanced, although most of you will say, Howard's not really the most balanced character in the world. Um, you know, uh, and um, uh, I just saw his uh, personal care and professional expertise. And I couldn't help but think it reflected Jesus washing the, defeat, the, the feet of his disciples, you know, showing his leadership in servant-like love. When I asked Shane if I could use this illustration, he said yes. And he said, you know, he always sees his job as being a servant and caring for and serving his clients. By the way, he's not here today because he's got a bad head cold, not because I'm using this example. Although I jokingly thought maybe instead of having a head cold, it might end up giving him a big head. Just kidding. Just kidding. Shane, if you're on Zoom, just kidding. <laughs> Right, gives us a good example of, of that, submitting to one another. And of course we're blessed in the scriptures because Paul does not simply stop with this command to submit to one another. He goes on to give some very practical outworkings in the basic relationships at the heart of Roman society and in actual fact all society. He applies it to the Roman household code. Now, in Roman society, as I said before, the, the emperor kept order in the wider scale and almost on a cellular level that was outworked for the household was that it was kept in order by the head of the household, which was usually a male who was a husband, father, and if they were wealthy, a slave owner. So when you read through that last section, some people will be going, hey, hey, I've been feel very picked on. Every time it comes up, it's talking to me. And it was a very structured and very hierarchical setup. And often what people have done is to say that the Roman household code is what the Bible says a family structure should be. It's God-ordained. And I've heard lots of teaching that emphasizes the structure and the authority and the order rather than the principle of mutual submission and love. And of course, when most people try and apply that, they, when it comes to the third section, they kind of get a little bit whoa, antsy because uh, are they saying that they approve of slavery? And then they go, oh, well, there's been some cultural change. So this, imply, this uh, sort of applies to employees and employers, and the principle does. But it's hard to sort of maintain that the whole Roman household code is is you know is there and, and I, it's more cultural, it's more a cultural expression of the family, uh, and it more comes from Aristotle and other writers than it does from Scripture. Now I think the idea of marriage and the idea of a, a mother and a father bringing up their children is is God ordained, and I think our ideal of marriage is a partnership between two equals, a man and a woman. 
is more in line with the scriptural principle. This passage, and when Jesus speaks of marriage, quote Genesis, that a man will leave his wife, uh, leave, his leave, his wife <laughs> leave his family and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That is at the heart of a God, God's ideal for marriage. And that forms the right basis for raising a family. And you know what? Mutual submission, love and respect applies to that cultural understanding equally. Now we don't have time in the sermon to dive into the intricacies of each of these relationships, but I want to highlight some things that reflect that mutual submission as love one another as I have loved you in relationships where there is power and authority. This, by the way, would have been radical teaching in Paul's day. You'd have heard a lot of gasps when it's being read out, not necessarily in the place where you might expect gasps these days. Firstly, in all three relationships that make up the Roman household, Paul addresses the people with least power. There would have been a gasp when the wife, the children and the slaves were addressed because they were not normally addressed. They were simply expected to toe the line. He turns what was just a socially accepted position into an act of worship and service to Christ. These people now become their own moral agents, able where they are to be examples of Christ-like love. Modern leadership theory talks of leading where you are, or 360 degrees leadership where you show leadership and excellence in whatever position you are in an organization. And here wives, children and slaves are called to show the excellence of their Christian faith and how they fulfill the situations in their society that they are in. Secondly, they're given incentives and encouragement in what they do. Wives are told of Christ's headship over the church, which in Ephesians 4, Paul had just finished, said resulted in the church growing up into all maturity and lacking nothing. You know, no wrinkles, it says in the, the good news. Yeah. You know, children are told that obeying and honoring parents has the reward of long life in the land. Now, as an aside, I know many of you are still wrestling with this idea of honouring your parents. In actual fact, that it's a lifelong journey. And many of you are coming to the stage where honouring your parents means looking after them as they are getting older, committing yourselves to them. And I know many of you are in the situation in that relationship where you are learning what it means to submit to one another out of reverence of Christ because suddenly you've got to sort of allow your kids to be more involved in that care, right? Yeah, and that's, that's them showing their honouring and love for you. Okay. To slaves, Paul speaks of reward. Now, slaves seldom, if ever, benefited from their labor and service, but not in Christ. This submission, this showing of Christ-like love by um, working in a joyful and, and um, you know, uh, effective manner uh, was seen as service to Jesus. 
and would be acknowledged and rewarded when their true master, their true master who treated everyone equally, returned. And thirdly, the people in positions of authority, rather than being instructed to keep order, are called to show love and care, to sacrificially serve those in lower positions. Husbands love your wives. Husbands love your wives as Christ has loved the church. He gave his life for them, for us. He does not abuse, neglect, put down the church, but builds it up and is one with the church. Remember Jesus' prayer, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Fathers are told not to exacerbate their children or make them angry, rather to treat them with a kind consideration and a caring manner, to invest time and energy into them, and also to serve them by teaching them the way of the Lord. That is by the example they set, as well as Christian education. Christian education, by the way, is first and foremost the responsibility of parents. Slave owners, while not being told to emancipate their slaves, and one commentator said for Paul to think of a world without slavery was like us conceiving of a world without electricity, but they were to treat them with care not only not abusing them, but making sure that they have everything they need, looking after them properly. And you can see why that comes over to employees as well. Employers. <laughs> it's interesting that in, in scriptures we have the example of Philemon and Onesimus as owner and slave, and how that relationship was to be work, worked out. Paul is called to forgive Onesimus for running away, to accept him as a useful brother, and even being willing to send him to continually serve with Paul. In Corinthians, Paul has to remind the church that when they get together for meals, not to simply dive in and eat everything, but to wait for the slaves who could only get there once they had completed their work, to treat them as brothers and sisters. What was radical for slave owners to remember was that they themselves had a master in heaven who did not show favoritism, who saw everyone as equal. And if you are in a position of leadership or authority, says Paul, you need to be a servant as Christ is a servant. Well, Gerald Sitzer uses a wonderful illustration in his chapter on this one another saying, and I've used it before, but we're good at recycling, aren't we? And I, I know you won't mind. He and his wife love watching old movies, particularly musicals. And they love watching the mesmerizing, magical dance routines of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Dances that were full of such grace. And... Uh, in an interview with Ginger Rogers after Fred's death, she said he was so good that he never seemed to be leading and her following. There was a seamlessness, an elegance, as if two people were dancing as one. And you, when you watch them, you can see the care that they have for each other. And you can see their love of the dance. 
when we submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ, even when there are leaders and followers, it becomes about grace and the love of God. Love one another as I have loved you. Amen. Great. Thanks, Hugh and Noel.